Guys, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the VR Studio ZSM Podcast. Today, we got a speaking skill. We're going to be talking about the different styles of, it could be lectures or even speeches. So, guys, if you don't already know, there are a number of styles which I enjoy. There are a number of styles that I think are very boring. My opinion is my opinion. I hope no one is offended by my opinion. Uh, and if you are, well, I'm sorry, but, you know, that is my opinion. But I'm going to give you a list of different styles. Now, there are four things that we have to listen for, like the organization of material, speed of delivery, style of lecture, visuals and support material provided, right? So, again, I haven't really been to an actual presentation like Bob Proctor or Vishen Lakiani, but um, visuals are very important, especially if you do a presentation at, let's say, a TEDx, right? And with TEDx, again, it's very like, eh, you know, they just talk about things. It's very structured. It's not really authentic. They don't want you to make it authentic. They want you to make it very structured. And I just don't believe in that. I believe in putting your own finesse to it. So that's why it's very important for, you know, for you to, of course, create your own platform so you don't have to use other people's platforms to get your message out there. So again, if we look at just the speed of delivery, I think Tony Robbins is one of those people where he could speak at like 5,000 miles per hour. But the thing is, you're not able to write down everything he says because he says so many good things but he speaks without thought groups. And without thought groups, non-native English listeners will not be able to understand. Gary Vee, which I've mentioned probably back in season three, season four, he went speaking to, let's say, in the Philippines or in Indonesia, he has a tendency of slowing down his speech. He is fully aware of his audience. However, Tony Robbins is not fully aware of his audience. Um, if we look at other people like Jim Rohn, I think Jim Rohn's one of the most boring speakers I've ever heard in my life. Now, unfortunately, yes, rest in peace. This has nothing to do with Jim Rohn as an individual, but he is kind of like a very academic-ish lecturer. You know, Zig Ziglar was actually very, very good. Uh, Brian Tracy's another one who I wouldn't listen to on a routine basis. Jack Canfield, although his book is amazing. Um, I just don't believe that his lecture is, you know, there, there's no fire to it. But then when Les Brown emerged somewhere like within the 80s, going into the 90s, he ended up bringing comedy into his lectures and jokes and storytelling this is what makes those types of lectures so fantastic. And not telling your story over and over and over because you need to understand how to tell your story. So there was a comment on LinkedIn and there was a guy that said, I can't believe people still pay Gary Vee to speak. And someone, of course, Gary Vee's fan club, they love him so much, but it's the truth. It's the same story with Gary. And other than saying, I think people should invest in LinkedIn and this without any actionable steps on how to do that, there's really nothing else much to say. He's very prolific at doing Q&A because he has very good substance for everyone, but it's the same message. And it was always the same. And, and it has always been the same message. So 2018, Gary Vee was massive. 
But now it's kind of like, ah, it's the same thing over and over. Okay, I get it. I've graduated from you. I have moved on. It's like Lisa Nichols. Lisa Nichols, when I heard her story over and over and over, like her, you know, okay, living in South Central LA, all that stuff. She has to give that type of presentation to audiences that are unaware of her upbringing. That is perfectly fine. But doing that over and over and over, I get very, very bored. That's all there is to it. So you got to have a speed to do it. However, her art of storytelling is phenomenal. Her meditation technique was phenomenal. The way she has her rises and drops are amazing by far. She doesn't even need visuals. That's how great she is. She's one of the best female speakers I've ever seen in my life. Right? So Eric Thomas, a lot of people would say, oh, he's very loud. He has a tendency of yelling, screaming. Again, I beg to differ. I believe that he brings far, just so much substance to what he says. He doesn't even have to scream or any of that, only when he's in front of audiences, but he packs such a powerful punch that if you understand the meaning behind what he is saying, it has far more impact than any other speaker out there in the world, right? So Les Brown, uh, Tony Robbins, I think Simon Sinek, but he's not necessarily a speaker. He's just like a coach. So when he actually does presentations, uh, you could fall asleep a little quickly. Again, he is very, very good, though, at what he does. But again, boars, I don't like boars. Now, I'm not saying everyone's boars. Well, if you guys actually go on YouTube and look up the video, uh, I will never forget that cup of coffee, end quote. If you look that up, he had fantastic speaking capabilities and he had a lot of storytelling and jokes in there he made the the audience was engaged but see those are just like presentation presentation like like uh what is it toastmasters or keynotes or you know like a tedx that's not and again a strong message but nothing actionable after that that's all that gives so again again style of lecture for me is the most important so what we're going to be doing, that of course, that this being a very uh, listening type of podcast, we're going to listen to how to cope with different lecture styles. Again, I know that there have been a lot of British people listening to my podcast. Thank you guys so much. But there are some people uh, like scientists and whatnot, they speak very monotone, right? And, you know, some people are like, oh, you should look at this. You should look into this. And I, and I watch it. In the first three minutes, I turn it off. I'm like, guys, you're trying too hard. Or they're pushing a narrative that I really don't like. Like they use a prop. And then they just tell things not authentic, authentic, with no authenticity. Like it's programmed. I'll turn you off very quickly. I need to see the real you. So this is why Eric Thomas is the best. So before we get into that, lecturers, They'll have different styles, okay? As you've already heard me talk about, okay? And they're gonna adopt approaches to the delivery of their talks. Some of these deliveries, you'd be like, eh, don't really like it. Some deliveries, you'd be like, wow. So identifying the lecturer's style and approach can help you follow the lecture and take notes more effectively. So if you regularly have the or, or have a have a lecturer in university or you're at meetings and you can't follow a native english speaker which i hear on so many different um you know occasions you if you have those meetings with those particular individuals very often you'll have 
familiarity with the speed of delivery in regards to that person speaking, right? Right, the amount of support provided, such as handouts. Because again, if you have an Aussie or a British guy in your meeting, they're gonna be speaking very monotonish. Hey guys, so yeah, guys, thank you so much. There's nothing behind it. It's very difficult for you to understand, right? So when the lecturer is new to you, be prepared, okay? With a notebook, an audio recorder, okay? Access all that available support material, okay? The clues, organization, all that good stuff. That will help you, okay? And you're gonna have to take a considerable amount of notes also. So what we're gonna do, you're gonna listen to two parts of a lecture about roles, okay? Identify which lecture does each thing. Speaker A, Brett Wilson. Speaker B, Sophia Lang. Which one does which? So the number one provides pre-reading. Number two starts with examples then moves into general statements. Number three encourages interaction, extremely important, okay? Number four, gives clear verbal signposts for the organization. Number five, speaks faster. Who speaks faster? And number six, relies on visuals for showing organization. So what I'm gonna do, I've already screen shared, so you guys are listening to me and nice and cool. What I'm gonna do is dive right into this bad boy. So here we go, guys. This is your listening. Seven minutes. The lecture has started, so please pay attention. Now, to begin with, we're piloting this program. And so I'm here today with the senior lecturer, Professor Sophia Lang, to talk about role conflict. This should be familiar to those of you who did the pre-reading I assigned on the website, but to recap, please look at this slide with a diagram and definitions. So, firstly, role conflict can occur when a person is assigned two or more roles, and compliance with the demands of these would be difficult or even impossible. There are two subcategories here at the bottom, intra-role conflict and inter-role conflict. You can see the definitions. So to expand on that, intra-role conflict occurs in an organizational context. It's when the job, for example, places incompatible demands on the worker. And here, we have inter-role conflict. Uh, so that's when you have roles in two different domains that cannot be easily accommodated, like being a mother and worker, which is, by the way, undoubtedly the most common example in the modern world. To give you an idea of what's to follow, Professor Lang will start by talking about the work-family dilemma, the inter-role conflict on which she is certainly one of the most respected authorities, and then I'll outline some key points concerning organizational or intra-role conflict. Uh, Professor Lang. Sophia, please. Thank you, Professor Wilson. A neat summary, don't you think, students? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Maria, I saw you making notes. Did you have a question? No, thank you, Professor. I did the pre-reading. It's no problem. 
Good. Now, imagine this. A woman goes to university in her 20s, finds she loves academic life, and qualifies with a PhD in physics eight years later. She is eager to put her work into practice, but she also wants a family, so she has two children with her partner. The university takes her on in a research post, and she is expected to attend conferences on weekends and generally put in a lot of hours, sometimes in the evenings, helping students and doing research. This she totally understands. However, she also wants to be a good mother, there for her children. But she has no possible boundary between the two roles, because they overlap in terms of time and attention needed. This is a classic example of inter-role conflict. And actually, there's nothing radical in this scenario. In fact, it's very similar to my own. People often praise me, how do you do it? is a question I get asked all the time. But there is nothing strange about it for millions of women. Frankly, the question really annoys me. Now, what are the consequences of this kind of conflict? There are studies that suggest that this conflict is responsible for declining birth rates in developed countries, a decline which is undeniably happening. But my own research suggests that there are too many factors involved to be able to make any claim for one main reason for this decline. However, it is argued in some of the studies that the reason for the decline in numbers of children is that many women are choosing a career over children. Though in some ways this seems possible, the theory ignores the fact that fathers experience a similar conflict. A study in 2008 suggests up to 49% of working fathers face the same conflict between their roles. So, how can we know that this is a female choice? Is there any way of being sure? Ben, what do you think? I agree with you. <laughs> I mean, there are so many changes going on. Women's rights, changing work patterns, attitudes to raising children. But I guess you could survey people to find out what they see as the decisive factor. And we do, of course. But that kind of data are not always reliable. Consequently, we just don't know for sure. Anyway, you should start thinking about these issues for your project, which we'll be assigning in next week's tutorials. I'm going to pass you back to Professor Wilson. Brett, please. Thank you. Now, if I may return to my slideshow here, organizational work conflict. As I explained, it's when you have two roles within one organizational context. I have an example here from real life. Let's call him Max. He works in an office in a web design company. He's been there for nine years and has worked his way up. You can see his career path on this diagram. In his current role as team leader, the management has delegated to him the responsibility of making sure his team meets deadlines with high quality work but he also represents the web designers at management meetings. There's a clear conflict here. What actually happened was that he stopped doing the things that got him these jobs in the first place. Hence, he ended up doing the minimum required to keep his job. Now, there are those who would say that it had nothing to do with the role conflict. He just wanted an easy life. 
But why would he change after all those years? People just aren't that changeable. You will recognize this as the case study I asked you to read. It's clearly a case of role conflict lowering motivation, which several studies have identified as an outcome. Basically, the different roles negated his strengths. Let's look at some figures now. This chart shows statistics on motivation in three different industries. Can I jump in here? I think we need to touch on coping strategies. Ugh, so guys, with that being said, she interrupted him. She interrupted him. And again, you know, every time, you know what's so weird about these professors and people? Um, they have a tendency of correcting. Again, if they feel that that is very necessary, like uh, Professor Lang, Sophia, thanks. Uh, Professor Wilson, Brett, thanks. I'm like, guys, it's not that serious. A name is a name. Just shut up and get on with it. That's the way I look at it because when some people correct me in terms of names, I'm like, it is not that serious. I remember about two years ago, I linked up with an author. I don't know if she was Vietnamese born, but she was very Australian, right? And she had a book and she constantly had always sent me like these messages, uh, and, like these messages and the reviews of her book. I don't know why she would use I don't know why she would do that. Uh, but we were supposed to get on a podcast and it's crazy. She's like, Oh, can you tell me what questions you're gonna ask? I'm like, I'm not that type of podcaster. She's like, Oh, well, I want to make sure that I can give back as much to da, 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 da. there were just too many instructions. This is probably like back in the early 2008s. And I was like, you know what? No, thank you. When people have that many instructions, I say goodbye. I don't have time for that. It's kind of like uh I interviewed this YouTuber. He has like 2.5 million YouTube, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, YouTube followers or subscribers. And we did a 30 minute interview and that was it. And the thing is, it was so structured. There was no authenticity. He was, at, he was answering everything that was very fabricated. So anyways, I'm just giving you guys examples from my own interviewing process and not process, but the people I've interviewed in the past, just, very bad types of interviews and people who say, no, uh, do this and do that. No, you're not telling me, get, get the hell out of here. Man, oh my God, I ain't got time for those types of people. So anyways, let's get back to the point here. Sophia, she speaks faster, right? Brett speaks slower and he uses slides, okay? Which is very good for non-native English speakers. Sophia, she went on blah, 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 examples, general statements, blah, 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 blah. And then she went back and she talked to one of the students, which is good. That was somewhat of an interaction, but those types of lectures, I'm really, really scared because if she sits there and she just talks, that's like being in any other university class around the world. When a professor, again, some people will say, oh, but he's a lecturer. If you think that sitting there in seats with 200 people and having someone speak for two to four hours is learning, no. So. Maybe some people might enjoy that, but I encourage interaction. And that's what's so good. That's what's so important. Like Gary Vee, he has Q and A's. Eric Thomas, he talks to his audience right there. He doesn't need Q and A's and people asking these questions and all that other craziness, you know? Yes, Gary Vee is really good at answering Q and A's as opposed to Eric Thomas, but Eric Thomas has you write down things throughout his presentation. 
with this lady, it's like, yeah, she just said a whole lot of stuff. There were a couple of things, but that was it. I, I don't even remember what she said. I probably remember what Brett says more because of his signposts and his visuals. And he speaks slower. It's easy to follow. He has thought groups. He has intonation. Sophia was just like, blah, 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 blah. Uh, can I interrupt you? I'm like, oh, my goodness gracious. So with that being said, those are the different styles. So which style do you like? Tag me on Instagram, of course, the Instagram stories, and say, Arsenio, I like Brett because, Arsenio, I like Sophia because, okay? Don't be sure to tag me, especially people who are listening to me on Spotify. Do not fear. Arsenio is here. I'm not going to bite. I promise. So with that being said, guys, thank you for tuning in to another listening task. We're going to have a couple of more things coming up very, very soon. So you listen. And again, Patreon's available. So you make sure you tune on in. Lots of exclusive content is going up over there. So until then, guys, have a wonderful morning, afternoon, and evening. It's the first time I've said that in a very long time. Stay tuned for more. Over and out.